think it must be that you need a year to recover in between. <laughs> but uh, it's nice to be uh, with you this morning. And uh, it's a blessing for us all to come uh, together into God's house, to look to Him, to set our eyes upon Him. And just like uh, the prayer that was just made, that this past year, the good things and the not-so-good things, you might say, that God still has kept us and held us and He will continue to be with us as we go into the new year together with Him. So this is the best place for us as Christians to be, to be looking to Jesus, to focus on His Word and, as our theme is today, to be holy and to ask God to do His gracious work in our lives. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 16. Just a short reading, but uh, a lot of good stuff in this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word now as we have these few minutes to think uh, about the details of what you say to us and how this applies to our lives. We ask for the leading and the blessing of the Holy Spirit to each one of us. Purify my lips too, Lord, that I might speak your word accurately and clearly in the spirit that you mean us each one to receive. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just a bit of background to this letter. Uh, Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were facing increasing hardships and persecution. Uh, he wrote this letter in about 60, 64 AD, and you know what happened shortly after that? The great persecution that uh, Nero instigated against the Christian church took place. So this letter is very timely for us, for our brothers and sisters who have gone before, and for us today as we live, because as Christians, to live a Christian life in this world is not easy. There is a battle that's taking place in the heavenlies and right here on earth itself as well. And we are in the midst of that. And so, this letter comes as a great encouragement and gives us advice from God Himself through His servant Peter. So we must take this seriously and as we do that and seek to apply it to our lives as well, we implement into our lives, we build into our lives advice that God who made us and knows us and knows all things, that He says, this is what you and I need today for this new year as we go into it. This is advice from God. And so, let's have a look at this and let's take strength from this as well. The Bible teaches us that many times through difficulties, that's the time that our roots of faith go down most deeply into the Lord. 
when we are desperate, we cry to the Lord and we say, Lord, I give up as it were. I can't do it by myself. Take over, Lord. And at that point, that's when God does that deeper work within our lives as well. You know, we all face difficulties and I think back to say Hudson Taylor, who was the founder of the China Inland Mission. There was a time when he was working and he had a vision for missionaries, two missionaries to go into each of the inland provinces. And then came the news that the missionaries had been killed. Another time came the devastating news that an evil rumour had gone out that the missionaries were seeking to get the children to come to their houses because they were going to eat them. And so people kept their kids away from coming to Sunday school. These were lies, but things that Satan used to try and prevent the work of God from going forward. And then, of course, the devastating news that came in 1949-50 when all missionaries of every Christian organization had to get out of the country. What was going to happen? Times of great stress and great anxiety and thinking that God had lost control and the evil one had taken over. That is never so. God never loses control. And this is something for us to remember in our times of stress, in our times of testing. God never loses control. He is always in charge. And through those difficulties and times when we think that everything has fallen down and broken up and we are tempted to go into despair, God is still in control. Every time, without fail. And this is a great encouragement for us. So let's look at this verse a bit more carefully. He starts off and he says, Therefore, I remember my pastor back home would always say, if you see therefore, ask, what is it therefore? And so, <laughs> we go back to uh, chapter 1, have a quick look there, and Peter reminds the believers how blessed they are because he has given us all new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that we have an inheritance that no one can ever take away from us, that we have a hope, we have a life and a hope in the light of the love of God, in the song that we've just sung. So true. But sometimes, when we are in our desperate situations, and trouble seems to be just pouring us like a waterfall, and we can't get out of it, it seems so difficult. Remember, therefore, you have these things reserved for you, and no one can take them away from you. Therefore, be encouraged. That's the meaning of this, of this text. Therefore, and there's six points that Peter brings out here. So, you have an outline in your bulletin. Just make a few notes if you want to as we go through this. The first one is in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. <clears throat> or, as some other versions say, gird up your loins. Uh, for us... Gird up your loins sounds a bit funny, a bit foreign, we don't understand this, but when we think back to the setting in which it was written, in the Middle East, in those days and even today, people wore long robes, and so before you had to do any work, you had to, work, you had to gird yourself up. Remember when uh, Elijah outrang the chariot of King Ahab, 
It says before he ran, he girded up his loins. He pulled up his cloak, I suppose, tucked on his belt. He was unhindered and he set forth and he outran the chariot. Amazing. Uh, when I was in Japan, when there was work to be done, the Japanese people put a bandana around their head Yeah, I often used to think that's a little bit over because that's supposed to keep the sweat off and sometimes there wasn't enough hard work to produce sweat. But I came to realize in the end, it's not to keep the sweat off out of your eyes so much as you work, but it's to give you Give a person a mindset. I am setting myself up to do a work now. It's preparing our minds. And this is really important for us as Christians as well. And Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Uh, In English you might say to roll up your sleeves. If we were doing a lot of work here and lifting things and I came along with a jacket and suit and so on, I wouldn't be dressed for the job. Somebody would say, take your jacket, we're going to do some hard work now. And so that's the same thing that Peter is saying to us here. There is work. There's a work of God that he wants us to be involved in. He wants us to do so. Prepare your minds for action. There's a work to be done. And God is going to do a work in us and through us as well. It's in our minds and our hearts that we must fight the battles of fear, of anger, of revenge, of loneliness and faithfulness and so on. When we were in Japan, my wife's parents came to visit us one time. They stayed with us for uh, three weeks. And after they left, my wife, Pat, almost went into despair because she so enjoyed having a mother with her, going shopping, drinking tea and just talking mother and daughter the whole time. But when her mom left, and her dad too, she was really sort of, crying and uh, lost energy and so on. The second time they came a few years later to visit us in Japan, Pat prepared her mind because before they came, she said, when they leave, I know it's going to be tough for me because she really loved her mother and got on so well with her mom and her dad, but especially her mom, sitting down and just having nice times of talking together. And when suddenly that was taken away to prevent a repetition of despair and loneliness and so on. She said, I have to do this. I must make the cookies. I must wash the windows. I must. She had a whole list of things to keep, her, keep herself busy. And she prepared her mind for that time of loneliness that would come. And the Lord is saying to us here too that He has a work for us. And so we must prepare our minds. We must say, Lord, What would you have me do? Looking to Jesus to guide us and to show us what he would want us to do. If only the Lord was right here with us and he could tell us the next step is this or the next step is that. If only he was with us. Well, he is with us. And he does speak through his word. And he speaks to all of us. And we know, we can know what the mind of the Lord is. To do good to do right, not to retaliate. And as we just prayed now recently, to seek the will of God, to, to prepare our minds for action. And this leads us then to the second point that Peter says, via the Holy Spirit working through Peter, be self-controlled. 
Does anybody battle with self-control? Probably all do at some point or another. There are different things that rub us up the wrong way. Um, when I'm watching an exciting game of rugby or something like that, I get really kind of tight. My wife always says, remember to control yourself. I say, Pat, just leave it. I'm, I'm enjoying this here. But she sees I'm losing a bit of self-control sometimes. But the self-control that Peter is talking about here, I think relates more to a moral alertness. To be, cons- to be uh, self-controlled in facing moral issues. And they're all around us. As Christians, we have to be careful that we do not slip morally into ways that we used to live before we came to know the Lord, before the Holy Spirit came within us. We have to avoid falling back into old habits. We are called upon to make a major effort to be self-controlled. When the pressure is on, it's easy to lose self-control and we may even be inclined to make excuses for ourselves. I had a bad day. I was just totally exhausted. Therefore, I did what I did. It was, I couldn't do anything else. We make excuses for ourselves. I was tired. The kids drove me mad today. That's why I got impatient and so on. These are excuses that are not acceptable as Christians to God. We, God does not allow us to indulge ourselves in wrongful behavior, wrongful words, hurting words, etc., To be self-controlled means to set a higher priority of not deviating from the course that we know we should go because there's some difficulty or some hardship in front of us. And so we avoid doing the right thing and we go around and do the wrong thing hopefully to get back on track again. That's not good. It's never right to do wrong. I find sometimes when I'm driving my car, especially go across to the border, in a long line up there, and lately it's been an hour long, I believe. I've only gone across once and that's enough. But you get into this lineup and you're waiting there and you see somebody way behind comes around to the duty-free shop, buys a bar of chocolate, and then he gets in ahead and everybody else is sitting there waiting and saying, he just bought a bar of chocolate nips in and he gets ahead of everybody else. Those things can rub us up the wrong way and they can make us irritated. That's a small issue. I think Peter is talking about moral issues. For instance, when we as Christians are on the internet or watching TV and a program comes up that Christians should not watch, that we should not watch, do we have the self-control to switch off or to change the channel, even when we're by ourselves and nobody else is watching except God, do we have that self-control to do the right thing and to keep ourselves pure and holy before the Lord? When we marry someone and we commit ourselves to that person, then later as life goes on, We meet other people who are very attracted to us and we might be attracted to them as well. Do we have the self-control 
to have eyes only for your wife or only for your husband rather than entertaining thoughts that are not good. And you know, it begins in our mind. Sin begins in the mind and later it comes out through acts, through wrong acts. But to guard our minds, to be self-controlled, that we would do the right thing, that we would live in the presence of God. This is something that God says we must put into action. And then the third point I have here from this text is set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. When times are bad, we must keep our minds focused on the wonderful future that is ours. And Peter has just reminded the Christians that you have been saved from sin, that you've become a child of God, that God has an inheritance for you, set aside for you as His child. He has a future for us and a hope for us. Don't throw them away. Don't let Satan pull these things away. Try and take these things away. Don't let him rob you of the joy of being a faithful, holy Christian walking with God. Because it's easy. When times are difficult, when we face stress, it's easy to fall into despair. And we forget the many, many blessings that God has for us, that He's given to us, that He has reserved for us. The blessings that await us, the blessings that we have even now of walking with the Lord. If we don't walk with the Lord, we look to ourselves to try and figure out how we should live life. And many people might feel that they are healthy, that they have money, that their work is going fine, that their family is intact, they have a house, it's paid off and so on. Life is fine, but life without God is never fine because all these things are temporary and they will come to an end and sometimes a sudden end and then they have nothing. They have absolutely nothing because they cannot even help themselves. Only God can help us. Only God is our sure foundation. So set your hope fully on the grace that lies ahead. All earthly troubles are only temporary. We, as Christians, I think, sometimes focus just on this life. We know we shouldn't, but this is all we know at this point. So things that happen in this life take on major importance. And they almost seem to appear that this is going to be something that's never going to change. That's not true. Things of this life are very, very temporary. The things of eternity continue forever. And so it's very important that we have a right mindset to set our hope fully on the grace that is given now and that lies ahead of us for the future as well. To get things in perspective, It's tough, but it comes to an end. And God is working things out for us and according to His own purposes. When we go through trials, there may be ill health or disharmony in personal relationships, difficult working conditions, etc. It really helps us to set our minds 
fully on the things of God. Now in Colossians it says, think on the things that are above. When I first read that, I felt to myself, isn't that avoiding the issue? What about the things now? Shouldn't we be thinking on the things that happen now? Of course we should. But think on the things that are from above means that as Christians, yes, to look and to deal with issues that face us now, but to remember the things that are above are the things that God has reserved for us, the things that He has committed to do for us, that He has said, I will always be with you. I will be your God. I will be your help. No one who trusts in me will ever be disappointed. These things that are from above, remember these things in the midst of the present troubles that we might face here on earth during our lifetime. To have that right balance is very important. You might say a right balance of earthy things are very small and temporary And the things above are things that never end, things that God has reserved for us and has given to us. To remember these things, to think on these things. Just before my wife and I left Japan, we met with another missionary couple who had also started uh, a church at the same time as we had started working in a church. And Hans Erling, a missionary from Switzerland and his wife Wendy, were very discouraged because they had worked for about 12 years in a church in Sapporo. And the church had really gone well and had blossomed. And Hans Uli and his wife had set us all an example of a couple who really prayed earnestly to the Lord and set times of prayer aside regularly that they, and I mean like three days at a time just to pray. They had done this regularly. And God had blessed their work. But at the end, when a, somebody else was appointed to take over leadership, things started to go wrong. And after 12 years, we sat together in a pizza parlor, drinking coffee, eating pizza, and just sharing together. And Hans Uli and his wife said, All our time in that church seems to have been wasted because from a high of about 60 or 70 people coming to the church, things had gone right down to about 15 people under the new leadership. It was devastating. And Hans Uli and Wendy were just broken hearted. They felt all their efforts, all their work that they had done had come to nothing. And then while we were sitting there just talking, suddenly the thought just came, you know, it's not the end result that counts, but it's the process, the day by day of walking with God that's really important. As people, we sometimes evaluate things by the final result that we can see. But God has something much more final that's still going to happen in the future. God does not just look at the one point. He looks at the process. He looks at daily walking with the Lord in obedience to Him. That is the important thing. And Hans Uli and his wife had done that. And so that was an encouragement as we were talking together 
And as this thought came into our conversation, that we were blessed as we thought, yes, to walk, to set your hope fully on the Lord, to remember the grace that He gives to us, and not just to look at one point in time and allow that to cause us to fall into despair and to forget the blessings that God has given and has reserved for us. And this leads to the fourth point here. In verse 14, it says, As obedient children. Peter calls us to be obedient children. And the Greek way of saying this actually means be children of obedience. As if your mother is called obedient. And you, as a child of your mother, must be a child of obedience. This is the way it comes out in the Greek. To obey God is to respect Him, to love Him, and to honor Him. Jesus said that if you love me, obey my commandments. As we obey the Lord, we show respect, we show honor, we give God glory as we obey Him. Obedience puts the flesh, puts the meat on what we say is our faith in believing in Jesus Christ. You know, James comes on this quite heavy as well. He says, you have faith? I will show you my faith through my works, through my acts of obedience. He's not arguing, but he's saying faith by itself without works is, is something wrong. Faith must be joined to works. And this is what Peter is saying to us here too, that as Christians, we must be obedient to God, to the Word of God, to what He tells us to do. To obey Him is the ultimate expression of our faith. Abraham obeyed God was counted to him as righteousness because he obeyed God even when perhaps his mind said, no, 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 I can't do this. But he honored God, he obeyed God and he was counted as righteous. It's the same for us today. There's no shortcut around obeying God. When we obey God, we say we believe what God says is right and true. And what is the converse of that? When we don't obey God, we are actually saying, I don't believe you know what is right. I don't believe what you say is for the best for me. That is very, very arrogant. That is rude. That is putting God down. That's taking away glory from God if we can do that. To think that we could say to God, no, I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. That is totally unacceptable for a Christian. It's difficult to always obey. No one says it's easy. But it's always the right thing to do. To obey God and to do that which is right. It's the ultimate expression of of our faith. To disobey God means to stand against Him in rebellion against God. 
How can we rebel against God? We are temporary. We have no strength. He is almighty, all-knowing. He always does that which is good for his kingdom and for us, his people. He always does that which is good. If God says we must forgive, even though it's difficult, we have to forgive people. It's not easy, but we have to do what he says we must do. Whatever it is that he says to us, we must say, yes, Lord, please help me to do what you say. Because sometimes when God speaks to us, it's not easy. It affects our pride. It humbles us. But to obey the Lord when he speaks to us to do the right thing brings the blessing of God. God blesses those who obey him. The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him, who obey God. William Shakespeare said, to err is human, to forgive is divine. That's true. Absolutely true. To err is is human, to forgive is divine. The fifth point that we come to, and time is moving on quickly here, don't slip back. Do not conform to the desires of your old life before you came to love the Lord. Trouble is when the pressure is on, when someone annoys us, when our finances are threatened, when we become tired or sick in weakness, we can slip back into old ways so easily. The thoughts of revenge and thoughts of worry and anxiety, of unkindness, of loneliness and so on, can come forcefully upon us. These are responses of the flesh, not of the spirit. So in our flesh, when we feel we want to respond in a certain way, it's then particularly we have to ask God to guard our lips, to guard our hands, to guard our actions, that we would respond in a spirit-filled way, that we would respond in a way that glorifies the Lord, a way that honors Him. The world is saying to the Christians, you should do this in that circumstance. As Christians, we have to be different. We don't look to the world for its advice as how we should conduct our business, as how we should live, live our lives and lead our lives. We look to God. I was struck recently by someone who wrote a letter in the paper and said, I don't have to live my life according to old-fashioned 1950 standards. I'm living my life according to standards that I feel are right here and now, not way back in 1950. God's standards never change. They go back further in 1950 and they will continue on beyond. God's standards never change. We live our lives according to the standards, according to the rules, according to the instructions that God has given to us to live godly lives as Christians in a wicked world. And then finally, just the last point we come to here. And this doesn't seem to be a word of comfort initially, but we are called to be holy. 
in verse 15, just as he who called you is holy, God is holy, so you too as children of God, you be holy as well. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And this comes from Leviticus, way back in the Old Testament, that this is the unchanging standard of God, to be holy. What do we mean when we say, be holy? What do you understand by that? Do we really understand what holiness means? What does it mean to be holy? Are you holy? Am I holy? We realize we have many defects. We, we make mistakes. We sin. Does that cancel out our holiness? No. To be holy is to believe in Jesus, to be cleansed, to be saved, to be set apart for godly use. To be holy means to be separated unto the Lord. And as Christians, we have been called out of the world, out of the thinking and the ways of the world, to be separated to display God's glory. Even in our families, even in small groups, in our society, in our church, we are called to be separate, a people separated unto the Lord. None of us likes to be so different that people look at us strangely and uh, feel that we are not with it, that we are way out. But as Christians, morally, we are called to be very different from the world's thinking and the world's standing. And what they feel is norm, the norm, for the Christian, that is abnormal. That is not what God wants for us. Being holy means to have an undivided heart, to set God as a priority, to honor Him before anything else. I've been really challenged lately because my grandchildren go to school and we've been going along to some of the schools and they sing Christmas carols. And we go to the function and the kids sing, all the classes sing something or other. And in two schools we went to, not one carol sung in honor of the Lord. Santa Claus was honored and bunnies and all sorts of other stuff out there. But, Santa, but the Lord, not one single word that Christmas is the celebration of the Savior's birth. In our society today, if you're a Muslim person, you can talk about Muhammad, you can talk about all sorts of things and give the meaning of why you have this particular holiday. If you're a Jewish person, you can tell the meaning of what this holiday means. But if you're a Christian in our society, it seems to be offensive to the people to say, what is the meaning of Christmas? It seems offensive to say because it divides. It makes people feel awkward. But as Christians, we are called to live and to stand for Jesus Christ in our society, whether it's easy or whether it's not. I was really encouraged the other day when I went to the Lougheed Mall and there was another school, not a Christian school as such, but the music teacher was Christian and she had all the children there and was standing there so blessed because every song they sang was a song about Jesus. Christmas carols that we sing in our churches. And I thought, in such a public way, the children singing and praising God 
and making a stand in our society, telling people about the meaning of Christmas. To be holy means to be different, means to set God as a priority that above all else, that is the course I'm following, that is the way I'm going, and whether there are consequences or not, that is what God has called us to do, and that is the path that we are going. And God blesses and uses those who have been set apart for Him, those who are obedient to Him, those who have prepared their minds, who have set their minds and hearts fully on obeying Him and walking the course that He has for us. And so I think as we come to the end of the year, and as we go into the new year, let these words from the Lord Himself stay with us and take root in our hearts. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. There is a blessing that's to come. Do not conform to the evil desires you once had before you came to know Him, but be holy because God is holy. And to be with Him, that is the path of blessing and that is the place where He wants us to be. So I would say in the last few days that we have of this year, Let's take time to ask God to make us to be the people that He wants us to be, despite adverse circumstances that may come to us from time to time. Help us to walk through this year, this coming year, with Him in a way that brings Him glory. May God bless you and help you and help me that we should live lives as He would have us live. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time that we just had to look at your word. I pray that your spirit would strengthen us, encourage us, comfort and help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.